You can open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in Luke's gospel chapter 10. And we're in a series of messages entitled Season of Stillness. And the idea behind this series is when you look in Scripture and you look at the, the stories of how God moved and intervened in the lives of his people, very often there is this moment of time, and it's described in many different ways. But it's normally sometime between when God makes a promise and when they actually see the fulfillment of that promise, the payoff of that promise. And oftentimes there's wilderness experiences. There's tribulations and trials. There are difficulties. There are times between when God speaks a promise to a young shepherd saying, you will one day be king over this entire area, over my, my people, uh, you still find this time where he's hiding in caves. And he's feeling like the world around him is just shaken. And yet each person goes through this season, which we're calling a season of stillness, where everything kind of pauses and stops. And you know what happens in each of those moments? God speaks and ministers and refreshes and touches his people. And I don't know about you, but I can experience and testify firsthand to just how busy this life is. How many demands pull at us from every angle. And when I heard those words in prayer, season of stillness, my spirit just leapt saying, Lord, that's what I need. That's what we need. As we shared that back on the 18th, those of you who were here, I could feel many of you say, that's it. That's what I need in my life because life has been pulling me. And so what we're doing is for the next four weeks, we are pausing before the Lord and we're going to learn what it means to find our rest in God, to find our refreshment in God, to find our healing in God in a season of stillness. The title of today's message is simply this, Too Busy for Jesus. Too busy for Jesus. And we find it here in Luke's gospel, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. I'm going to read them to you. They'll be up on the screen. Here's what it says. Now as they were traveling, this is Jesus and his disciples, as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted by all of her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered to her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered by so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. This is God's word to us today, church. This is what we need to learn because if we're going to enter into a season of stillness, there's something that always stands in the way of it. It's the tension we see in God's word in this very passage. Now, this passage of Scripture, when you're reading through the Gospels, you can easily overlook a passage like this because often we want to read about the power passages, the moments in time where God is moving, where Jesus is healing, where, where lepers are being cured, where the dead are being raised. And in fact... You can see some of these same characters in one of those power stories. This last Thursday night, I was speaking uh, to, a, to a family and a group of friends who had lost a, a loved one. And as I was asked to share the word with them at a private viewing, I shared from John's Gospel, chapter 11. And if you know John's Gospel, which is the next Gospel over, uh, in chapter 11, these same individuals are mentioned. Because this man named Lazarus, who Jesus loved, and his sisters Martha and Mary... They had given word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. 
Now, if you know the story, you know what happens at the end. Jesus calls out to a man who had been dead for more than three days. This man raises to life and walks out of a tomb alive. Now, that's a story of power. I'll tell you what, I want those kind of stories to happen in my life. How about you? I want to see those kind of things all the time. In fact, when I was a young Christian, when I was growing up, I believed full well that I just needed a handful of stories like that in my life, and my life would be completely different. Man, where would my life be if I experienced something like that? And you know what? Those handful of experiences, I've seen God do some amazing things. You have too. For some of you, God has healed you. God has moved in your life. God has restored your marriage. But there's a danger if you're not careful because we want to define our lives by those big, those big, giant, miraculous, earth-shaking experiences. And we believe those are the things that will ultimately forge our character. Here's the thing you need to realize. Those are not the things that will forge your character. In fact, quite the opposite. Those are the things that will reveal your character. What forges your character aren't the big, exciting handful of earth-shattering moves in your life. It's everything that happens in between them. How you spend your time and what you think are the trivial, minute moments that pass by. See, our, our character is really forged in those small moments that we see as insignificant, but God values. And we get to a passage of scripture here, one that you could easily dismiss because is there a leper being healed? Is there a demon being cast out? Is there a man being raised to life? Are there miracles happening? No, but if we don't understand the power of what God wants to speak into our hearts in this moment, we never may stand in those places where we experience his power. Again, those are the moments, those powerful earth-shaking moments, those are where your character is revealed. I love Pastor Ron shared uh, just a, an anecdote with me a while back when he had been here. He said it's those squeeze moments when you're pressed on every side, you go through the squeeze test, I think you called it. It's when you press in and then that's what comes out. And so here's what you need to know. In the lowest valleys, when you're feeling the most stress, that's where your character is revealed. And also in the highest highs, when God is blessing and pouring himself out in your life, that's where your character is revealed. It's everywhere in between that it's being forged. In the things that you think don't matter, in the moments that you let pass away, those are the opportunities God wants to take to minister into your life and to forge godly character inside of you. So it's not in those big moments, but it's in the small ones, in the seemingly insignificant ones. So we come to this story. It's not a story uh, that's an earth-shaking story. No one is healed, no one's raised from the dead, no demons are manifested anywhere. To some, this would be an insignificant story. However, this story is a door to a completely different life. To understand the heart of what Jesus is communicating to these two sisters will have everything to do with how we experience what God has for us in this season and if we want to fulfill the vision he has for us to be the church that changed the world, the church we read about in the book of Acts. Before they could ever become the church that changed the world, what did they go through? They went through a season of stillness in the upper room from the time Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven to the time that they experienced the power of God on Pentecost. There was about 10 days that passed by. And during those times, they were in a season of stillness waiting upon the Lord. That's what we have been called into as well, church, a season of stillness where God could forge, heal, restore, and lead us. So let's look at the passage of Scripture today. We see these sisters they have uh, decided to have Jesus, to welcome Jesus into their home. We see that it is defined as a Martha's house. We'll get into that in a few moments. And they're entertaining. And it, entertaining uh, visitors was very important. 
entertaining someone that was significant, like a Jewish rabbi, a, a teacher who were, was going around healing people, like Jesus, that meant all the more. And we know just how much Jesus meant to this family and how much they meant to him. So the fact that Jesus, when he's passing through Bethany uh, on his journey, makes time to be with them uh, is, is very important for us to realize because he cares so much about them. And as they are making all these arrangements to have this great time with Jesus, now we don't actually see that the disciples are present here. You see a, a, in the passage when you read, it says his disciples and him were going, but then it trails off. In that first verse, it says, and Jesus went to their home. So some would think that it was just Jesus that was there. It wasn't necessarily all of the disciples. Uh, that doesn't necessarily matter much to the story because Jesus is the one who this is centered around and how they are responding to him. Now, at this point in time, as all the preparations are coming together, the temperature is getting hotter and hotter in the kitchen. Uh, and it's not just because of what's been put on the stove. Because there's a woman named Martha. Martha is the one who seems to be the leader here. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. And as she's going through all of these different things that she needs to do to bring this feast together, she looks over and her sister Mary is sitting down at Jesus' feet just listening to what he's saying. And uh, I don't know about you, but this kind of hits pretty close to home for me as I think about that. Has something like this ever happened where you just become so frustrated when something isn't happening and you're in the presence of some guests? Just think of it this way, okay? Uh, you've ever decided to put on an event in your home. You've decided to host some people and all the preparations are being uh, underway. And maybe your guests arrive a little bit earlier than you expected or, uh, which happens in most cases, you're running a bit behind in your preparations. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? So you're running behind in your preparations. We'll just say that's it because that's normally what's going on. And uh, everything isn't as it should be. Now, maybe it's you and your spouse, you and your children, you and whoever else has agreed to help you make this uh, event a great success. So uh, they're there. The, the plan has been laid out of all that's going to happen between the time that uh, you begin these preparations and the time that everyone's going to enjoy them. And then the first guests arrive. You know what happens so often? Someone deserts you. And they're just like hanging out. It's your children. The other kids are here now. They're gone. They're playing video games. And now you have guests that are there, right? So you can't scream at your kids. You can't yell. Your, your, your spouse, your hubby says, oh, yeah, I'm with you. And then their friend comes. They're down in the basement watching the game. Uh, and here's what happens, right? While they're talking, you're in the kitchen. And you're starting to bang some things. <clears throat> You, you leave the refrigerator open so it starts beeping. You, you, you know, you just do everything you can do. You're clearing your voice. You're trying to catch eyes with them. And they're like, you know, they're, they're, they're just tuned out, right? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And you're going through this. And you know what doesn't ever happen? You never say what you're feeling in that moment, right? Uh, you're never saying what you, because you know what happens? The party will be over. I'm going to say, you know what? We're out of here. Uh, we're good. We're good. Give me back my Tostitos. We're going home. Um, and so that, that happens. Look what happens in this story. That's happening. It's happening. Martha is there, and she is getting frustrated. Her blood pressure is rising. She's trying to probably send some subtle cues to her sister, and eventually she just comes right out of the kitchen and just comes right out with it, and here's what she says. Martha, distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Could you imagine this? You're entertaining friends. And you're, you're there and your friend comes over and you like abandon your spouse. Uh, guys, I'm talking to you. This is probably what you're doing, okay? So we'll just say that. You abandon your wife in the kitchen 
and you're talking to your friend. Can you imagine her coming over with this wooden spoon in her hand and saying, do you not care that he has left me to do all the work in here? Why don't you tell him to come in and help me? What would your friends, what would your guests think of that in that moment? They would just freeze. Can you imagine the tension in this moment, though? That, that Martha is, is just saying what she means. There's a few reasons why and a few things we learn about Martha that we need to realize. And I want to point these out to you briefly because we need to understand uh, this, this woman named Martha and we get to learn about her a bit uh, in the scriptures, not just here in Luke 10, but also in John's gospel. First thing we need to know about Martha is she is a leader. You learn this pretty quickly just in the way she's talking, just in the way she's projecting herself. Uh, Her character is drawn everywhere uh, inside of the passages that she's spoken about. If you go back to John chapter 11, when they're at the funeral and Lazarus is dead and Jesus is on his way, Martha's the one that comes out to greet him. She's the one who's running point on all the things that are happening there. Martha's the one who questions Jesus and says, if you had only been here sooner, then maybe he wouldn't have died. She's the one that's always cutting to the quick, getting straight to the point. Martha is a leader. She's the one who, when Jesus says, hey, why don't you roll away the, the stone? She's the one that says, hey, you know, he smells after this many days. We shouldn't do that, Jesus. She's the one who is a, a leader. Martha's the kind of person that in any situation, she ends up just stepping in and taking charge. She knows what to do before anybody else knows what to do. Am I describing anyone in the room today? Um, she's very decisive. She's very quick to tell others her opinion about what she should do. She's very ambitious. She is a leader. You notice that if you look carefully, it says Martha is the one who actually invited Jesus into her house. So now I'm wondering, maybe Jesus couldn't say no to her. <laughs> maybe he's going, oh no, Martha, we're in Bethany. I better, you know, she said I have to come over. Uh, I better come over to her house. Here's another question I came up with as I'm reading the passage. Why is it Martha's house? Why isn't it Mary's house? Why isn't it Lazarus' house? It says in the other passage that they all lived together. Uh, It's Martha, because Martha probably leads the finances, leads all the arrangements. It's Martha's house. Although anyone else is living there, Martha is a leader. She has a certain type of personality, and some of you are laughing to yourselves because you feel like you're that person. You know what that's like. Some of you, you know that person because they're with you today uh, and, and they're here and you know that driven personality. Many of us, we have that, that in us and especially in this part of the country, in this part of the world, this is a place that people come, especially up to even New York City where more people are coming to see their hopes and their dreams fulfilled. It's like here in LA, that's where people are going to try to see all their great aspirations coming to reality. And so People like this, they're very determined. They're leaders. They're, they're type A personalities, and they're just driven to make it happen. Another thing we learn about Martha is she is very, very busy. Martha's very busy. See, it says that she's distracted by literally the word means much serving. It means that she has laid out an immaculate feast for her guests. There's all kinds of things that are in the oven, on the stove, all over the place, over an open fire. People have looked at Martha over the years and, and they can contrast her with, with Mary. Um, and, and you see this when people are studying the scriptures and they often uh, will contrast one with the other. And this is something we need to be careful of because oftentimes we want to drive as one being evil and one being good. One being right and one being wrong. But we are going to get by the end here to realize what the real distinction that is being made And some of us have actually used this kind of passage of scripture to defend the idea of being in ministry. 
They view someone like Mary and say, wow, just sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's amazing. That's probably what pastors do and people that work for churches. They just sit at the feet of Jesus all day and then get up on Sunday and just talk about it. Um, some of you are laughing, thank you, because uh, you know that's not all we do. But, but that, that's what people think. And they say, you know, when you're stuck out in the world and all the busyness of this world, then, then you're really uh, caught off guard. If you just interpret this passage under that lens, you're missing the point. Because you have to ask the question, why is Martha keeping herself so busy? It's all for Jesus. This doesn't show you the difference between those that are in ministry and those that aren't in ministry. In fact, Martha is very much like a person in full-time ministry, a person that is serving out of the everything they have. Martha is your Christian leader that comes in and goes to work 40 hours, 50 hours a week, and then comes and gives all their time, all their talent, all their energies to serve the Lord in the body of Christ. Someone that's kept so busy doing all these things for Jesus. So I don't want you to read this passage and think, yeah, that's just for people that, you know, haven't yet uh, really learned what it means to serve God. No, it's for those that maybe have taken that idea of serving God and it's now gone to an unhealthy extreme. See, Martha isn't just describing the person who gets so caught up in all their, uh, all their many burdens and all their many preparations in this world. It can describe that. Also describes those of us that in our great ambition to serve Jesus could actually become too busy for Jesus. That's who Martha is. Not a woman who was so busy doing other things that she missed out on Jesus, but she was someone that was working so hard to try to please Jesus that she was missing out on what he really wanted in that moment. Am I describing anyone in the room today? That in our greatest, greatest desire, we pour ourselves out and we think in doing so, we're pleasing Jesus all the while we're actually never spending any time in his presence. And we have somehow uh, substituted our work for him, for our time with him. And those are dangerous substitutions for us to make because one will leave you empty, the other will fill you and heal you and restore you. So we need to be very careful. Every church has a lot of Marthas. There are, there are a lot of people who do that. And we see the old adage is true. 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work in serving. They lead the Bible studies. They end up on staffs. They become ministers. They become elders and deacons and leaders within the church. And they become very, very busy. And often in many churches, they're doing all of it for Jesus. But it's squeezing them. And sometimes it can leave us burn up or burn out. It can leave us in a place where we're not flowing out of the overflow, but we're running on empty because of the busyness and all the things that the Lord has, has allowed us to walk through, and yet we think he desires for us to do those first and foremost. In verse 40, I, I, I think we need to pay attention to this. If you'll turn your attention there, and we can put verse 40 back up on the screen again. Because when this happens, look at the way she actually comes at Jesus. So he's sitting there with Mary and she actually comes at him and says, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this serving alone? Don't you care about what I'm doing right now? Don't you care that I'm here doing all this stuff for you and look how no one's helping me? Don't you care? There's something, there's a danger that we can run where we actually become jaded inside of our busyness. And sometimes we get so consumed with our own plans that we make the mistake of coming to Jesus and trying to get him to come on board with our plan. 
as opposed to coming to him and surrendering, ready to ultimately submit to his plan and his purpose for us. Am I speaking to any Marthas today in the house? So we see that Martha's a leader. We see that Martha is very busy. But there's another thing we need to know is that Martha was very loved by Jesus. Many want to paint her as the villain of the story or that Jesus was frustrated with her because he does rebuke her inside of this passage. But how many of you know what God's word says that every son the Lord disciplines is one that he loves and that he receives to himself. It's out of a deep love and concern that we can often miss here in the scripture that we see just the depths of his love. We learn about it more in chapter 11 of John's gospel because that shortest verse in in verse 35 when it says Jesus wept. Jesus loved deeply this family. It says in John chapter 11, when they sent word, Jesus, the one you love is sick. Jesus loved this family very dearly. But there's something we actually see right here in the passage that points to that fact as well. You see how many times Martha's name is repeated there in the passage. Can anyone tell me? It's repeated twice. Martha, Martha. He says that, and oftentimes we could, we, we could not know how to read into that. We need to understand something about these ancient languages, these Semitic languages that inform us what it means when someone uses someone's name or repeats something twice because it actually carries with it a great magnification. Some of us could think that that means that it's a frustration. No, it's not a frustration. In fact, it's meant to just magnify what's being said here. You can see this all throughout Scripture. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 14, and when it talks about uh, how some of the kings that were fleeing from a battle had fallen into some very great pits. The word that's there, if you look at the Hebrew, it's not that they fell into great pits. They fell into pit pits. Uh, they fell into the very great pits. So that double uh, use of a word, that repetition of a word is meant to magnify the word. Something like a, uh, an exclamation point, but even greater than that. It's meant to show the great depths of it. And so we see this repeated so often. Uh, throughout scripture, we see the doubling of names being used, oftentimes associated with weeping, with a heart that is wrenching before what's being said. Think about David when he's speaking of his son. He doesn't just say, Absalom, my son. Rather, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. That's not being spoken from a heart that is angry, but a heart that is broken. When we see that Jesus is looking at Jerusalem, Luke chapter 22, what does he say? They say, Jerusalem, how often have I, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I longed to take you under my wings? How long have I longed to see your redemption? He says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not out of anger, out of a deep anguish, out of a burdened heart, out of love and weeping. So often in Jesus' words, when he is using this double repetition of a word, it's normally associated with him being deeply moved in his spirit, even to the point of weeping. So when Jesus says, Martha, Martha, what he's saying is this, Martha, Martha, you have so many goals and you have so many things in your life that you think are so non-negotiable. But Mary has chosen the right things. You have 30 plus things to do. And you've ordered them all and you think you have to do those things to be happy. And as a result, you are being torn to pieces, Martha. 
You look like you're the proactive one. You look like you're the leader. You look like you're the initiator. You look like you have everything under control, but you are under the control of these things. You're being moved along, and there's an inner emptiness that you have, and more than that, you have an inner disharmony. You're not at peace. Am I speaking to any Marthas today? The tension that's here that I want to talk to you about isn't a tension between right and wrong, isn't a tension between good and bad. It's a tension between something much greater. Because Martha and Mary, they show a contrast here in this story that we so often miss. See, it's not the difference between good and bad. It's not the difference between right and wrong. Jesus is not rebuking Martha because she's doing something bad or of ill intent. In fact, everything she's doing in this moment is for him. So what is the difference there? Luke chapter 10, verses 41 and 42. Let's go there again. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. There's a subtle difference in the things that we do in this life. All of us that say, you know what, I feel a lot like Martha at times. There's a subtle difference that we have to get if we want to live that changed life we've been talking about. There's a difference here that we have to understand if we want to enter into a season of stillness. Here's the difference. It's the difference between the important and the essential. We need to begin to learn what it means to differentiate between the things in our lives that are important and the things in our lives that are essential. When we go into a definition, somebody say, I don't even understand the difference between those two words. Let me give it to you this way. Important is this, of great significance or value. How many of you can go through your head and you can do this right now? How many things are of great significance and value that you are worried about right now in your life? The things that are of great significance, great value, if they pass by, they're very important right now. They're very, very important to you, and they're the things that are filling your to-do list. They're the things that if, if another snowstorm comes, you're so worried because one of those things might slip. There's so many important things that happen, not just in your personal life, but even in your service unto the Lord. There are these important things that you know you want to do for God and that you need to do for God and you need to take seriously. What are those things of great significance or value? We can all list them. If I allow you more time, the list will just grow longer and longer. But here's the difference. Important is of great significance or value. Essential is absolutely necessary. What does Jesus say? He doesn't say, hey, what you're doing doesn't matter, but what Mary's doing is important. He said, you are busy being worried about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that one thing that is necessary. What was it? What was that necessary thing? What was that essential thing that Jesus had commended Mary for? What does it say there as we open up the passage? Verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Let's look at Mary now. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. What does this actually mean? In the Bible, it doesn't mean she's sitting there like some love-struck uh, puppy dog just looking up at Jesus. It doesn't mean that. 
we think about that and we think, what does it mean she's sitting at his feet? That kind of feels uh, weird and wrong. And you know what? It did feel weird and wrong in that time where normally the quarters were separated and men and women shouldn't even be in the same place. But you know what it would have said there if his disciples had been present? It would have said if Jesus was in a position of teaching, instructing, learn, helping them to learn and grow, it would have said this, the disciples were seated at Jesus' feet. She had taken the role of a disciple, of someone who sits at the feet of their master. We see this in Acts chapter 22 when Paul, who was Saul, talked about how he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the greatest rabbis and teachers of that day. It means this, that you are coming under one's authority. When it says, for example, in the book of Acts, when we read about the church that changed the world, it said they sold their land and their possessions, and what they do with it? They came and they put it at the disciples of the apostles' feet. They meant that here, what God has given us, we are now placing it under your authority. May God's will be done with it. When you place yourself at the feet of someone else, it means that you're literally coming underneath their authority. Notice that Mary doesn't simply just listen to God's word. She puts herself under the lordship, under the leadership, under the authority of Jesus. She's looking to submit her life to the words that are coming from his heart in that moment. See, for her, she could have been pulled in all those directions. But there was something that happened when Jesus arrived, something she realized and longed for, that there were a lot of important things to happen, but she learned how to differentiate between what's important and what's essential. And she knew in that moment she couldn't let it pass by. That there was a moment that looked like it was a moment where she was doing nothing, but you know what she was doing? She was being still in the presence of the one who could change her life forever. The ones who had the word of eternal life for her. But some would say, but you know what? She didn't pay attention because that day they couldn't have a meal if she didn't get involved in that. No, here's what we realize. She already found the best meal that day. She found the greatest meal that anyone could partake of. Mary's there so worried about this physical meal, she doesn't realize what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's doing what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He says, He humbled you and let you be hungry, and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live on bread alone, but, on, but man lives on everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. She found her meal that day. And it was a meal that could nourish her like no meal they could prepare in any kitchen in this world. And she realized that the essential thing to do was to place herself completely at the feet of Jesus and for him to have his way with her. That's what this season of stillness is all about, church. It's about us taking these moments and slowing down and ultimately for this month, placing ourselves at the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus saying, Lord, do you have a word for me? Lord, can I have a meal that will truly satisfy my heart? That we can learn what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We can learn what it means to have our soul find rest in him alone. What it means for him to become our refuge and our strong tower, for him to become our deliverer, for him to become our portion, the one who leads us beside quiet waters, the one who restores our soul. So this month is all about sitting at Jesus' feet and taking in 
every word that would come out of his mouth to us. So sitting at his feet and taking in his word, that's what it's all about. So that's why you received this book as you came today. This is our gift to you. You can take this book out if you haven't received it yet. We have copies for every person that has come today for you to receive. This is called simply a season of stillness. And if you open up to the very first page, you'll read an introduction that really summarizes today's message. And I encourage you to read this even before you leave. But then every day for 30 days, we as a church are going to go through and we're going to sit at Jesus' feet, meaning that we're going to take at least a half an hour a day to sit, to pray, to seek him, and to just receive his word. So often, so often we, we can get so busy, even in our Bible reading, that we miss it. And you know, my first idea was to actually have us read through the entire book of Psalms in a month. And as I was talking with someone here on staff, they said, doesn't that feel like we're just getting busy then again? Doesn't that just feel like then we're, we're running the marathon again? And as we prayed, I said, no, what if we just took one chapter a day and we just spent, now it'll only take you maybe a minute, two minutes to read it. But I don't know if you've ever really just sat and reflected on the word of God for an extended period of time. Oftentimes, and I've heard it said of a seminary class where a professor did that. They said, I want you to read this passage and I want you to allow the Lord to speak to you from it. And they gave him 30 minutes to do it. And so they they, at the end of the 30 minutes, they said, what did you guys think? And people were gushing. Wow, the Lord was speaking. Wow, this was amazing. He said, okay, how many of you, what you really felt like the Lord was ministering to your heart about, how many of you received that within the first five minutes? No hand up. 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Two hands went up by 15 minutes. All of that was between 15 and 30 minutes that the Lord really began to stir in our hearts. How many of you spend that much time in just a passage of God's word? How many of you are so quick to just check it off your list and move on to the next thing? That's not a season of stillness. I know this, that God's word is truth. God's word is life. And if we will take time to sit at Jesus' feet daily and just receive from him his portion for us, he will restore and revive. He will refresh us in a way that we've not been refreshed. He will provide vision and speak a word into your life and lead and guide you. But are you willing to stop being so much like Martha and choose the absolutely most necessary thing that you could do in these moments, placing yourself at his feet. So starting tomorrow, find a time and begin right there in Psalm 1 and then the next day, the next Psalm, and then the next day. So we have that 30 minutes every day and then what I want to call you to is one hour every week that we will not just do this individually, but that you will connect with others, others in your family and others in the family of faith. And that one hour every week, you'll sit together, reflecting on God's word together, praying, seeking the Lord together. That's why we have our prayer groups starting. They're starting this week. You still have time to sign up today. We have 17 groups and we'd love to fill many people into them. One hour of your week for four weeks has the potential to connect you to the Lord and to connect you to the body in a way that's beautiful. If you've committed and you said, I'm serious about connecting to the body, I'm serious about getting hungry for God, then join a prayer group. Make a prayer group in your home and invite others to be a part of it. We have all the things you will need. It's not complicated. It's reading a, a chapter of God's word together and then praying. That's it. God wants us to connect to one another and connect to him. And then each week as we come together, 
for these next four weeks, we're going to learn what it means to find our rest in God. And I believe God's going to do something beautiful in this season, church. He's preparing us. He's tilling the grounds of our heart to cultivate a great harvest that I know and believe that's coming our way. But are we going to slow down? Are we going to quiet our hearts before him? And are are we going to receive from him? So in this moment, here's what I want you to do. We're going to take the next five to ten minutes, and this is how we're going to close out our service. It's going to be in a time of stillness before God. I want you to make right where you're sitting an altar before the Lord. An altar is a place where you're going to come just to worship God, to meet him. Maybe that's you turning in your seat and just going right before him. Maybe it's you just resting there on your knees right in the presence of God. Maybe it's you putting your hands right into your head and you're just seeking God and asking him to speak to you. Maybe you're just opening one portion of his word, just allowing him to minister to your heart. Maybe it's coming to this altar and just kneeling in the presence of God. Pastor Brian's going to be playing, and he may go into a chorus that we could sing along to, but that's how we're going to spend these next five minutes at least. So I encourage no one to leave. Take part in this right now and allow the Lord to begin to minister and speak to your heart. Lord Jesus, meet us now as we are still in your presence. Lord, help us to be still and know that you are the Lord our God. Lord Jesus, we want to hear you speak. Lord, you're not in the shouts. You're not in the loud clangings. You're in that still, small voice that desires to whisper into the depths of our heart. So Lord, today I pray that my brothers and my sisters have heard their name even repeated by you, Lord. Martha, Martha, you're worried and busy with so many things, but there's only one thing that's necessary. Come and sit at my feet. Come and hear my word. Come and be restored in my presence. Lord, lead and guide us. Minister to us. Slow us down. Over these weeks, restore and revive us, Lord God. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. And lead us every step of our journey. Lord, teach us with wisdom, Lord, the difference between important and essential. Teach us what it means to sit at your feet and to find our rest in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.